We have such an exciting work of the Lord happening within us and among our church. We have an exciting time of year, a time that we want to steward very carefully. I want to challenge you today. I want to bring a message to you and then let this be something that works in us as we move toward this important season. I want the lights to come down and I want you to watch this commercial that is now being played throughout our community and will be played many, many times between now and Easter. Would you watch this? It was a life-altering question. Are you alive? It rocked your core and ours. Now we wait, anticipating, eager, his people will reflect. As the rock moves, salvation is redeemed by your answer. Are you alive? Series finale, Easter Sunday at the Assembly in Broken Arrow. My prayer between now and Easter is that the Holy Spirit will use us to share our story of what Christ has done for us and that that spiritual hearts would begin to beat. You heard a heartbeat at the end of that. And I'm believing on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday that spiritual hearts would come alive. Would you agree with me on that? And that the Lord would use us. Now, I think the very best way to prepare for this finale is to do an emphasis on the three days that changed the world. Three days that changed the world. If you were to Google days that changed the world, you will see quite a list, and it marks, in some of those days, the end of a certain era or age. It marks new beginnings, battles, discoveries, all of these days very strategic. But there are no more significant days in all history than Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the days that mark the crucifixion to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I want to take today and talk about Friday. Next week we'll talk about Saturday and then Sunday and then we're poised for Palm Sunday and Easter. As I go into these days, I pray it'll just challenge you. It'll challenge you with where you are in the Lord and and what he means to you and that you would be very excited, enthusiastic, and courageous in talking about that in your routine. We, we cannot depend on, on just media to present this message. God has chosen to use people. And so I, all I want this commercial to do is be part of the partnership that you have with God about stewarding your own witness in this community. And so I encourage you with that. We need to be clear on what happened on those incredible three days, the three days that changed the world. Today, we talk about Friday. On Friday was the most prominent death that anyone has ever died. When you read certain biographies, like that of Abraham Lincoln, his death was prominent. But in his biography, his, his death is rather a tiny part of that biography. Four different writers put for us a biography of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of these writers, in the biography of his life, used a third of the story to focus on when he died, how he died, and the results of his death that all happened on 
Friday. Everybody say Friday. Today we're talking about Friday, so that would be like a great time to put it on the screen. Let's say Friday. What happened on Friday is significant. On Friday, there's the Garden of Gethsemane, then the arrest of Jesus. He's betrayed by Judas. He is taken into the trial by the Sanhedrin. He is then brought before Pilate. Pilate hands him over for crucifixion. And he's beaten and then executed by Rome. All of these things happen on Friday. It's quite a dense, difficult day. We could spend an entire message on any one of those aspects of Friday. They're all significant. So I thought, how would we try to sum it up and be challenged and blessed and motivated in just one talk on Friday? And I felt led to John 19, and I think it will help us today. John 19, starting at verse 28. Please turn in your Bibles or your iPads or your phones, whatever it takes, because there are some words I think you would want to underline or circle and take to heart as part of what Christ has done for you and how you would communicate this to other people as we lead toward the greatest Easter we've ever had. Here's the word. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted, tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. I thought the way to focus on Friday is go to what to me summarizes, culminates, it concludes. It's right when Jesus died. He said these words, it is finished. So you've got three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that are wrapped in three of the greatest words. To me, the three greatest words of all history. The words, it is finished. Now Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they write about Jesus making this statement from the cross, they said he shouted it. Now we know by the torture he had endured that he was very weak, and by the positioning of those on crosses, he, in excruciating pain, would try to lift himself even to breathe. And in like the very last strength in his body, he didn't just moan. Matthew, Mark, and Luke specifically said he shouted, It is finished. You see, when Jesus made that statement, because we can look back, we have a certain perspective, but on Friday... The Roman soldiers heard those words and thought, we're finished now with this radical insurrectionist who has challenged Rome. The religious leaders heard that statement and said, we're finished now with this one who has created such competition and challenged our system. He's now dead and gone. The disciples... 
They're thinking the dream of the kingdom is finished. And then consider Satan. He's thinking, finally, the Son of God is now history. He's finished. As we really look at this statement, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. Jesus said, it is finished. These three words, it is finished, it's one word in the Greek. It's the word tetelestai. And this one word sums up Friday. The different meanings of the word, and they're rich and they're many, will give us a way to talk about Friday. Because in all that happened on Friday, I want to tell you, on Friday, in the worst of torture and human pain, was the greatest victory that's ever come to humanity. This word tetelestai was often used by an artist. The artist would be finishing the portrait and with the last stroke of the portrait with the artist saying, okay, the picture is now perfect. The artist would say tetelestai. It is finished. It would use the definition of complete. Now, So you know, in that culture, workmen would come to their boss and would say, I have finished Tetelestai, the job you gave me to do. They would say, the job you gave me to do, it is complete. There was nothing left unfinished Tetelestai. So putting the workman and the artist angle on the word Tetelestai, you have a picture of that which is perfect, picture perfect, and complete. And what does that mean when Jesus makes that statement? Well, there were many wannabe messiahs. There were people who presented themselves as the messiah, and they were hypocrites, they were fake, they were phony. There are 380 plus prophecies in the Old Testament about this coming messiah. And if anyone could fulfill those prophecies, there would be no doubt, not even a hint of doubt, that he is the true Messiah. And as we watch Jesus come to Friday and die on the cross, it is the fulfillment of every one of those prophecies, even in detail. We have a benefit that the people living in Old Testament times didn't have. They are seeing this story unfold through types and figures. And we get to look back and say, okay, I see what the artist was doing. The the name Jesus, you can't find it in the Old Testament. And yet you know by being around Scripture any length of time that as you read the Old Testament, he's literally on every page. He's in every book. And as we look back, we say, It's amazing how the artist was creating and working. And when Jesus comes to the cross on Friday and shouts, it's finished, it was the final stroke. The picture was made perfect. Think about this. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin, God comes back into the garden. And God starts talking to them, and he says these words. The seed of the woman 
will bruise the heel of the serpent. Now, imagine if you're them. What does that mean? You see, you're, you're living the story. You have no hindsight ability. You're in the midst of it. But see, we have the vantage point to know that when he talked about the seed of the woman, who was he talking about? Jesus. So even at the fall, the artist was starting to paint, come into Exodus, just one story. There are many. But remember the story of the Passover lamb? The death angel was going to pass over and all who had appropriately applied the blood of the lamb to the sides and the top of the doorposts would be preserved from death. Now, watch the artist. The blood was to be applied on the sides and the top. Draw the picture. Pass over lamb. Because we have the story and we can look back. Who is the Passover lamb? See how the artist was painting the picture, Genesis and Exodus. You can go through every book. Jump to Nehemiah, the broken down wall. The people are brought out. There is a way made for them to be delivered. Who is the way? Who is the gate? Do you see the artist working? And then there is the rebuilding of the walls type and figure of God's ability to rebuild a broken life. Remember the description? It's painted graphically. Nehemiah took a trip to survey. And he said, the walls are down and the gates are burned with fire. You could just write, no hope. It's impossible. It's too far gone. But what do we watch? In 52 days, which is an absolute miracle, Nehemiah was able to motivate a people because of a great God, and they were able to do a great work in just 52 days. And we know that Nehemiah represents, and even the wall represents the walls of salvation and transformation. So you see the artist. Even in Nehemiah, everybody preaches from Nehemiah. You can talk about leadership. You can talk about teamwork. You can talk about passion. All of these great, very relevant topics. But I want to tell you, at the heart of the book is the artist, our great God, painting a portrait of this one who would make the final stroke that day on Friday when he shouted, finished. Exciting, isn't it? How much time could we spend in the Psalms? Just take Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Take that psalm. See it in its imagery. The leader, the provider, this one who protects. Who is the great shepherd that Psalm 23 is really talking about? Artist is painting. And you can take that and watch the painting develop. Have you ever seen the artist start and you wonder by the first few strokes, 
What is he doing? Even after a while, he's been painting, and you're not quite sure, but over time, wow, now I see it. So there's like 400 years of silence between Old Testament and New. You're like, what happened? And suddenly the silence is broken about this one who would be born. And let's just take Matthew for a moment. Matthew, who read his book, he paints this portrait of Jesus as the Messiah. And you see all of this writing about the son of David. Where does that take you? Right back to Old Testament, where we hear all these prophecies about this one who would be the son of David. You know, genealogies and, and all of that heritage all the way now till Matthew saying, God is painting again. And he talks about the Messiah. You come into the book of Mark, and Mark writes about Jesus, and it's so easy to see he's miracle worker. All of these occasional great actions of Red Sea and Lion's Den and Fiery Furnace, now in the flesh there is this Messiah who is the miracle worker, the God-man, because when you get to Luke, he's going to talk about the Son of Man. Because he had to be fully man, and at the same time, fully God. So you've got Messiah and miracle worker. But in case we get hung up saying he's all God, man, Luke begins to write with the precision of a doctor and lets us know he's the son of man. He was fully human and at the same time, fully God. And we're trying to work that out. We're trying to figure it out. You see, the artist, he is painting. It's magnificent. It's awesome. So we make our way into the book of John, and John calls him the Son of God and begins to say that Jesus declared, I am. Now, where do you remember the words I am first being used? Exodus. Exodus 3, when Moses turns to the burning bush and God says, see the picture? My people are are bound, they're lost, they're without hope, they are slaves, and they cannot save themselves. You go, who's he a type of? I'm starting to get the picture. He goes, well, who will I say sent me? You tell them that who the I am has sent you. And so when John writes about Jesus, and the artist is still painting through his prophets and his priests and his disciples, we now see Jesus as the Son of God. And and Jesus in John says, I'm the bread of life, and I am the gate, and I am the shepherd. All of these completions of just what was in a type, in part, in the Old Testament, now, now, I'm starting to see it. Yes, it's coming clear all the way until he says, I am the light, and I am the resurrection and the life. And John, like Matthew, like Mark, like Luke, says that on that cross on Friday, Jesus shouted, it is finished, the final stroke. And the picture was perfect. 
And it was totally complete now. Now, where you don't have to go through some high priest like they had to do in Leviticus because Jesus became the high priest. We don't have to go offer sacrifice like they did tens of thousands of times in the Old Testament because Jesus became the sacrifice. We don't have to go searching for some animal, this lamb that's just right, so that maybe we could offer up something that would be acceptable because Jesus became the lamb of God who shed his own blood, the perfect lamb, fully man yet without sin, fully God, so that the full concept of holiness and judgment and grace could all come together and the picture could be perfect. Could we clap our hands to a God so amazing? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, to tell us die. It's finished. Friday is all about what Christ did on the cross. It is finished is a judicial term. In Old Testament times, a judge would stamp a prison sentence to telestai, paid in full, and it represented a prisoner who had served his time, paid his debt, made restitution, and because the penalty had been served and the price of the debt had been paid, therefore restitution offered, the judge would stamp to telestai, it is finished, and the prisoner would go free. Hmm. Let Paul just blow our minds from the book of Romans. Let's start in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Here's what it means. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Do you see substitution there? He did this so that, watch this, the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Notice that phrase, so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied. There was no way we could have lived up to the demands of the law. We could not have been perfect as it relates to the law. Therefore, we could not have provided an appropriate sentence for any wrongdoing. We could have never been worthy to even pay the price, would not have had the money to do it, would not have had the righteousness to do it. So notice what Paul writes about in Colossians 2.14. He, Jesus, canceled, watch this, he stamped it. He canceled the record of the charges against us 
and took it away. How? By nailing it to the cross. This is amazing. It's amazing grace. Can you imagine your creditors calling you tomorrow and saying, we just wanted to connect with you and let you know we have canceled all the debt you owe us and we have removed. Here's a a Bible word. We've blotted it out. To where it can never again be retrieved. We're not just going to say you are forgiven of this debt today. But if you mess up, we may retrieve it. No, we are about to hit delete. And when we hit delete, there's no technician that will be able to reach out there and find it. And bring it back up and somehow accuse you with it. And make you liable for it. When Jesus was nailed to the cross. He canceled the debt. He paid for our sin. So that it would be remembered no more. Bless the Lamb of God forever. So. You've got to hear these words. Just hear them and worship. This is Romans chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 12. But you must hear this in the message paraphrase. Hear this. It'll be on the screen. Follow it and let it bless you. Oh, you know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those, watch this, who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life This separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the capital letter O, one who will get us out of it. Yet, the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. Man, if I could write like this, I would sell all of you my book. This is just absolutely amazing. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin, watch this, was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through the one man's wrongdoing... Can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides. 
Now watch this. So here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us, watch this, out of trouble, he got us into life. Come alive. Praise God. <laughs> to tell us die. It is finished. Jesus said, I painted the picture. I finished the work. I've satisfied the law. Oh, these are the most incredible words ever uttered. Last picture. I said that it's a shout. You know why it's a shout? Because it's a battle cry. See, there was a battle going on there. Satan had waged war. Sin had waged death. So what do we learn from this shout on Friday? You know, it's amazing when you can shout on Friday. Your darkest day. The dense trouble of life. And yet you find the power shout I wish I could preach that sermon but it's getting late but everybody else's clock is messed up so let's just go over alright you know they're going to get here about 11 anyway So when he died look at this Romans 6.10 here we go stay focused stay dialed in when he died he died once to break the power of sin See, the penalty of sin was death. The wages of sin is death. So he paid the price of that penalty. But the power of sin had to be broken. The price had to be paid, and the power had to be defeated. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he not only paid the debt of sin, he defeated the power of sin. What does that mean? It means when you and I invite Jesus into our hearts, we receive a new power that then gives us what we need to finally say no to the things that we've not had the power to say no to that are destroying our lives. Can you say amen? You get the power to live the abundant life, this extravagant life, this Gift of sovereign life. Everybody has some habits that need to be broken. All of us have hang-ups and all of us have hurts. What's the power to break the habit? To heal the hurt? To break its bondage of bitterness in our lives? What's the power to release me from what's got me tied down so that I can soar in the destiny that God has created me to know. What's the power? It's the power of Friday. It's the power of the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, living free is a ministry we have on Monday night. And it's designed to say, if you have habits, hurts, or hang-ups, and you're looking for victory, you're looking for a way to finally win, to finally break that, 
then you can attend this. And what you're going to learn in all of the lessons at the heart of it is the power of the blood of Jesus shed for us. Man, it's raining grace around here today. Here's Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying, watch this, could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. It's very much the same with us at times. Maybe we don't want to admit it, but in that day, they were literally enslaved to a fear of dying. It was like the ultimate giant. It was the ultimate fear. It was the ultimate enemy. And so what we're learning is that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price of the penalty of sin. He defeated the power of Satan. And he even broke the power of death so that death for the believer is not an enemy. So no one has to live in the fear of dying. Now that's a very interesting thought. You don't even have to fear dying. One person said, you're really not living until you've overcome the fear of dying. And the only overcoming power for the fear of dying is the power of Jesus in us. He broke the power of Satan. Well, in the obvious question, if the penalty of sin has been paid and the power of sin has been defeated, then why all of this chaos in our culture? Why all the addiction? Why all the brokenness in relationships? Why all of the weakness? And, and it, well, I, I searched for a way to connect this. And I, I'm just going to borrow from history. Many of you have heard of or even been on a chicken farm. And you know that when a chicken has its head cut off, it'll still run around for a little while. And, and I don't mean to offend you, but that's just rather comical to me. I've seen it. It's funny. It's just, it's like this thing is dead, but it doesn't know it. And it's just got a little, uh, just, just enough life left in it to kind of flail around for a little while, and that's it. I don't want to, I don't want to ever minimize Satan's ability to attack us or to tempt us. I don't want to shrink the devil until we live as though there is no devil. But I don't want to ever blow him up to where we are afraid that there's a demon behind every bush and Satan's just waiting and we're like, we're like the ones on the losing side and he has the edge. No, I want to tell you, Friday has given us the power over the power of Satan. And he is going about as a roaring lion. He is seeking whom he may devour. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's the power of Friday. Well, look at this picture. This is Jesus on the cross. On that day, Isaiah says that Jesus was so severely beaten 
And this was a prophetic word that he would be marred unlike any other man, unrecognizable. That was the severity of the judgment hall where the Roman executioners beat him and tortured him. So when he's at that moment, you can see why Satan would say, he's battered, he's bruised, he's beaten, and he's about to take his last breath, and he will be finished. History. And I wonder what went through the corridors of hell when Jesus raised up. And in that last burst of energy, he shouted, It is finished. If Satan has the ability to say, Oh no, I think he probably said it. Because on what he thought was his greatest victory became his ultimate defeat. Here's a picture of Mount, Mount Rushmore. And I, I find it interesting that, that the history of this incredible site shows that thousands of people from around the world have come to see it. But the man who had the vision for it and started it, he ran out of money and could never finish his work. When he finally got more money... He soon thereafter died, and so his son took up the project. His son became weary with the project, and he gave it up. So the original author, artist, sculptor, and his son never finished it. It was unfinished. It still was attracting people from around the world, but it was unfinished. Let me take you to another site that attracts people from all over the world. Here it is. And in this picture is Calvary. People from all over the world will come to visit this site. And when they do, the work of the Father and the Son was totally, completely finished. The artist made his last stroke, and the picture was perfect. The workman completed the job, and Jesus himself said, it is finished. And whoever calls on him shall be saved. Would you close your eyes with me, please?